how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. Christopher Riley and Kathy Riley met Coleman Luck, screenwriter of The Equalizer, who challenged them to an interesting idea, find the defining moment of any character. As a screenwriter, Christopher Riley has spent his life creating these moments and characters for the big screen. Now he's written a book on the defining moment to help other writers uncover these wounds and gifts that create character. In this interview, Riley talks about the defining moment practices, how to start to discover yourself on an emotional level, what it means to write a satisfying story, and how to write, quote, givens for actors. I think it was um, a desire to connect with people, and I didn't do that really very well, um, I guess the way normal people do it. And uh, I, I have this memory of writing some poem about Rudolph at Christmas time. And I, I was a grade school kid. I handed it to my uncle and he read it and laughed. And I thought that was fantastic. That was a kind of connection that I had not made in any other way. And then I saw, you know, I started seeing films, uh, like really good films uh, when I was in high school, things like The Deer Hunter and Ordinary People. And that connected at a much deeper level. So I was, I was finding out that uh, there was a whole lot more to people than just what I saw on the outside mm -hmm. and that people generally were struggling and often in pain in ways that had been a complete mystery to me. Mm -hmm. uh, and so film for me became this way to discover people and as as a writer to, um, to sort of become known as, as well. So both film and, and writing, uh, whether film or books or anything else, for me really are ways of human connection that are powerfully attractive to me. 
this might be kind of a, a broad question. Do you see that like filmmaking or being a fan of movies is maybe a way for like writers or introverts to connect and see these deeper emotions that they have maybe trouble connecting with in real life? I, I think so. And I, I, you know, I, I come across a lot of writers who are introverts and uh, who are very comfortable sitting in a room alone mm -hmm. and, um, and expressing themselves. And, you know, I've, I've written things that I've never told anyone. Uh, so I, I've revealed myself far more fully through writing. Uh, and, I, and I sort of think extrovert or introvert, um, we just don't really have the modes of interacting face-to-face uh, -face that are equivalent to, uh, here's a book I wrote, or here's a movie I wrote. And th those are different forms that allow us to express ourselves in different ways, and I think um, often more fully. What were some, what was it about maybe those movies? I actually just watched Ordinary People recently because I've read so many people talk about it and that type of thing. I know it was a big deal for Mary Teller Moore to play that character. And it's about a, a suicidal kid and some of those things that were unexpected, the keeping up with the Joneses, false appearances. Did you see some movies like that kind of shift the way writing happened? Like what did you, what else stood out about that movie or those types of movies that later came into your own writing style? For, for me, I know that uh, I respond to uh, particular kinds of emotions in, uh, in film. And I respond a whole lot more to things that feel real, uh, that have more melancholy emotions. I'm a sucker for the cello because it just has that melancholy voice. Uh, I'm not a particularly melancholy person. <laughs> but in my art, I, I, for whatever reason, I have this um, affinity for um, stories that connect with, uh, with pain, uh, with struggle, with, with sadness in a way that I don't so much and I, with comedy. And I'm not a comedy writer. Uh, it makes me very nervous to think about exchanging uh, humor for money. I, I, I would not know how to do that. Um, but I can, I write thrillers, I write action films, I write drama, so I can scare you, I can make you feel dread, and I can make you cry. Uh, and I can do that for money all day long. But I also respond to that. Uh, I, you know, I think ordinary people for me, it was about stripping away the facade. And, um, when I saw that Timothy Hutton's character was suicidal, when he looked like he had it completely together on the outside, it took me completely by surprise. I was a probably a 17-year-old high school guy at the time, and um, and I thought, oh my gosh, if people are in this much pain and you can't tell. I need to start treating people better. And so it has, it has affected the way that I treat people. Um, even to this day, I think I'm shaped by that uh, aha moment when I saw that film. Uh, and because I, 
it was the first time I had understood that, that there's more to people than meets the eye. A big thing with that, that might um, kind of scan across genres is like the duality of people. Um, do you have some principles that go into your writing style, be it thriller, action, that type of thing? Like, what do you look for when you're creating a full character like that? Boy, people and so characters that represent them uh, are so infinitely complex. I try to come at character from lots of different angles uh, just to get myself to think um, over and over again in different ways and try to capture some of the many facets uh, of, of characters. So I, I start with just with questions that get at the basic kind of physics of story. Um, my understanding of story, especially a filmic story is it really is uh, centered around a hero's struggle against an obstacle to reach a goal. That's mm -hmm. something I've borrowed from TV writer, Bill Idelson. And so I, I asked myself, what does this character want? And actors know to ask themselves that question in every scene, what's my scene objective? So I asked that question about every character. And then I also really believe that the most satisfying stories are about people who transform uh, for better or for worse. So I asked myself, how does this character need to grow and change? Uh, they may not ultimately grow and change in the way they need to, but how, how do we recognize like, oh, you are missing this thing in, um, and that's not good. You're not going to end up happy if you stay on this path. But then I do start asking myself uh, these defining moment questions. And the idea there is that not every moment we experience is equal. There are moments that shape us more profoundly than other moments. And so I look for that handful of moments that have shaped a character. So if I say, you know, this character uh, treats everyone out of this terrible fear of rejection, mm -hmm. that's, uh, that's something that's present in them now. I ask the question, well, what happened to them mm -hmm. that made them that way? Uh, was there a moment? Was there an experience where they were wounded and concluded, man, you gotta protect yourself. You can't let anybody know who you really are, uh, or you've gotta, you gotta strike them before they strike you. Mm. Uh, so rather than that just being kind of a neurosis or a character trait, um, I look for its roots in, in a story, a little scene. Mm. Um, and, when I know what those moments are, then whether or not those moments become flashback scenes in a movie or get talked about in dialogue, I, as the writer, have a, a much fuller knowledge of what will this character say and do and why are they saying and doing those things. Um, it allows me to I don't want to call it a shorthand to understanding a character because it really is going to um, going to the deepest roots 
uh, of character. Uh, but it, it's a finite number of things that I need to know about a character. And then there's still, you know, there, I, I've, got a, uh, I've got a character I'm writing now. Uh, it's a brother and sister uh, who are um, uh, hired guns for a Mexican drug gang. Uh, he's like 17, he's deaf. Um, she's uh, 14 and really his interpreter. And they drive around in this old uh, armored car. And like all of the, that has nothing to do with their defining moments. Those are all kind of external things, but those are interesting things about them. But as they're driving around from hit to hit, she's like, he's making sure she's doing her homework and study. So she's got her chemistry book open and he's, he's protecting her. Um, she's fascinated by what he does as a killer. And his biggest commitment is to prevent her from ever killing anyone herself. And that, those things are rooted in past experiences and moments that have defined them. But the externals of this decrepit old armored car, um, that's just an, uh, uh, that's a superficial thing. But, you know, if we think of Jack Sparrow, there are superficial yeah. things about him, uh, the way he dresses, uh, the fact that he always seems, um, four sheets to the wind. And um, then there are deeper things about him and the way he speaks. So I, when I approach character, I try to come at it from all those angles uh, because every time I ask myself a question about a character, I discover something. I want to kind of elaborate on the, on that without um, going further than that, because you're currently writing that when you were talking, some of that reminded me of road to perdition, which is a big thing about, he doesn't want his son to pick up a gun. And he also has this um, history with this father-like figure. Do you view like the name of your book is a defining moment? Is it always in the past? Are there multiple defining moments? Like how does that, how do multiple shape the character? So there are multiple defining moments. Uh, I, and I think uh, if we reflect on our own lives, we can point to moments of uh, wounding mm -hmm. uh, or loss, uh, but also moments maybe of healing, uh, moments when a dream was born mm -hmm. uh, or we discovered some genius that we have. Like, oh, I'm actually very good at this. And that can become a, a defining moment. And there are moments of growth or transformation that happen not in the past, but happen like live before our eyes on screen. When I think about a character, I think about where are they coming from and what are those moments in their past? But I'm also thinking about how are they going to pivot over the course of the movie? And when I find defining moments that are going to happen in the course of like the live chronology of the, the present, uh, those can become centerpieces of a whole film. Uh, we may be building toward that first step toward growth or 
toward healing. And that might be a climactic moment. Uh, in the film, In America, uh, it's all about this family that suffered the loss of a child in Ireland that moved to America. The dad is an actor, but he can't really act because he's living in grief, but he, he, is, he is like promised he will never shed a tear because uh, he's so angry at the universe uh, over his child's death. And so he's cut himself off from his emotions and he, so he can't act. Uh, therefore he can't support his family and he can't be a dad to his two remaining daughters. The whole movie is about his need to, to grieve, to come back in touch with his true heart. And so the climax of that film is that moment where he does that and it redefines him. And you know that everything that came before that moment is going to be different from everything that comes after that moment. So that happens in the climactic moment of the film. If we think of find, Finding Nemo, uh, there's this tragic moment when Marlon, Nemo's dad, uh, sees his wife and his like hundreds of eggs um, gobbled up by a barracuda. And so he's left with just this one little egg that hatches into Nemo. Well, that's a profoundly shaping moment that happens in the opening of a family film from Pixar. Um, so those moments can happen at the beginning, they can happen at the end. In The Godfather, the moment that transforms Michael Corleone into the guy who will become the new godfather, that happens at the midpoint of that film where he picks up a gun in a restaurant and commits his first two murders. Mm -hmm. So those moments can happen throughout a film. Often they are these structural pivot points. Uh, and then and there are some that have happened in the distant past and we may or may not see those, film, those moments, hear about them, uh, but they shape the character nonetheless. I spoke with Chris uh, Vogler a couple of weeks ago about his book about the hero's journey, taking off, uh, you know, going off Joseph Campbell and those type of things. How do you feel about movies that purposely go against it? I mean, we, we know that as an audience, we want certain things to happen, but if you watch a movie where the bad guy wins at the end, which is, I think it's more rare. I don't think you see many of those. There was movies like, Arlington Road and a simple plan in the late nineties where that was more of, of a type of event. Um, how do those, do those still work today? Should people avoid them? Like when we go against the, the defining moment, you know, part at the end a little bit. I, so there's a practical answer to that, which is audiences tend not to respond as favorably to uh, to those stories, therefore, studios don't want to invest right. money in those stories. I do think that sometimes, um, going back to the Greeks, tragedies um, have real value for us and pack an emotional punch, uh, and they are like life. Uh, the good guys don't always win in life. Um, Putin's doing fairly well um, 
not great, but doing fairly well in Ukraine because he's got right. more tanks. Um, and it may turn out that he succeeds at taking over Ukraine. So I think we do need stories that represent that part of reality also. I think that to tell those kinds of stories, uh, the Cohen brothers do it pretty well. Mm -hmm. uh, you first have to understand what the audience is expecting and wanting. Uh, Chris Vogler and his study of Joseph Campbell are a really helpful way for us to understand, oh, these are the stories that have resonated with people mm -hmm. throughout time and all over the world. Um, you have to understand all of that before you start subverting it. Right. And so what the Cohen brothers will do is, uh, for example, with No Country for Old Men, they give us a thriller and a thriller requires a final showdown between hero and villain. Mm -hmm. But they deny us that scene. It just mm -hmm. doesn't exist right. in that movie. I think what they're playing at is they're getting us to imagine often a scene that happens after the end of the movie. And uh, sometimes in a Coen Brothers film, I think the most important scene is the scene you imagine on your way home from the theater. Uh, and so they're, they're forcing us to do some work to resolve what they have refused to resolve. And they, they're able to do it because they know exactly the way a classic thriller is supposed to go. Mm -hmm. And then they just say, yeah, I'm not going to give that to you. Uh, and there will be blood. They just, they just give us the, a tragic ending. It's a story of, uh, yeah, don't be greedy because you'll end up like this. Um, so there's nothing particularly surprising about that. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like sitting and watching a train wreck. And there's something about it that rings true. Yeah, if you just consume everything you, for yourself, if you drink everybody else's milkshake, uh, ultimately you will end up empty and alone. And, um, and so that's what's going on in that film. It's a really sad ending. Mm -hmm. They're the Ethan and Joel Cohen, so they can get away with that when a lot of other filmmakers wouldn't be able to take that kind of risk. So we touched upon a little bit already, but we want to talk about your new book, The Defining Moment. What kind of inspired you to write this book? What are some pieces you wanted to put in it that make it different from other books on screenwriting or about character building? Kathy and I uh, had a mentor uh, years ago named Coleman Luck. Uh, he was a writer producer on the TV series, The Equalizer. A really good writer. And he was mentoring us as we were rewriting a feature screenplay uh, that we had sent to him. And he had this theory that all of us are the product of a handful of moments that have defined us. And he challenged us to dig for those for our characters as we were doing a rewrite of, of this script for him. 
And that was the first time, number one, that I realized how hard screenwriters actually work. And I asked the stupid question, do other writers work this hard? Um, and now I know that the good ones do. Uh, and, the, and the bad ones don't get work. So, so yes, other writers work this hard. Kathy is far more disciplined as a writer than I am. So I'll often kind of leapfrog over this step and she'll say, no, 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 we have to go back and really understand the moments that define this character. And then she started teaching a class to screenwriters and she would uh, teach them about this practice or discipline of discovering the defining moments of a character. But she said to them, you really have to discover your own moments first. Uh, before you can understand your character story, you have to understand your own. And so she would walk writers through the exercise of looking for those moments that create this boundary of before and after in their lives. And that became, um, that became really valuable, uh, we experienced for, uh, for these aspiring writers. So when it came to the book, we wanted to then take those principles, lay out the idea of defining moments, show where they show up in classic films uh, like Finding Nemo and The Godfather and many, many others, uh, but also in literature, um, on the stage, um, characterize like what are we looking for in defining moments um, and then walk writers through discovering their own defining moments uh, as a way of then saying, ooh, if I need a, a moment where a character grows or heals, um, there's a way that those moments can really ring false and be schmaltzy. And um, I think the way that you get authentic uh, or emotional authenticity is to actually look to, when have you experienced a moment of growth or healing or a moment of tragic loss or disappointment? How did that go? What was that like? And then you can draw on that for your character. And then it has this um, verisimilitude to your own, own life. Um, so all of that we wanted to explore in a book and we felt like this, is, uh, this was just not something we were, uh, we were finding in any other books. The other thing we wanted to do was to talk to actors uh, because we recognized that as screenwriters, we start the character, we dream them up, but then the baton gets passed to an actor and because Hollywood functions this way, generally the writer never meets the actor. And yet we collaborate to create this same character. And so we thought that this idea of defining moments might be useful to actors as well. So we started talking to actors and trying to understand, well, what would the common language be? And how could we talk about this in a way that would actually be useful to actors as well as writers? And so that's another, uh, at least somewhat unique thing about this book is it tries to create a conversation among the disciplines. Uh, so this is something that's useful for directors, editors, actors, writers, really 
all the storytellers um, on a film. And my experience has been that really on a good film set, everyone is a storyteller. And, um, and so this is, I, I, I like to think of editor and composer, director, actor, writer, all pulling together uh, on a really good film to tell the same story. And to the extent that defining moments help illuminate a character and tell a story, especially those moments where a character transforms, I hope that uh, this book will fuel a fruitful creative conversation among all of our disciplines. What's some of the, the practical aspects of this? Because it sounds like, um, I've talked to some writers and it seems like people want to go towards writer directors, maybe because they're there the whole time to help talk to the actor about character and some of those things. But aside from handing in a separate document about a long backstory, or if, like, if there's a defining moment that's not necessarily in the script, like how do you kind of balance those things out going forward with this idea in mind? In my conversation with actors, they have talked about scouring the script for what they call the givens. Uh, those facts about backstory that are on the page that they can then build on. Mm -hmm. And if you're playing cop number three, <laughs> there probably isn't a lot of that on the page. And so you're creating whatever you create um, out of whole cloth. But if you're playing a Michael Corleone, then um, you're saying, well, uh, I, was, I know I fought in World War II before this movie began. As a writer, I'm starting to think, ooh, did he kill anyone before? Mm -hmm. uh, because that informs this character. And I think, was he, did he fight in Italy? Um, has he been in Italy before or when he flees to Italy in the second half of the film, is that the first time he's been there? Those, those facts may or may not hmm. reveal themselves on the script page, or in this case, uh, in the novel first. As a writer, sometimes little hints of those things hmm. will... Um, make their way into the script. Other times, there's this great moment in, uh, in the movie Finding Neverland, where Johnny Depp's character um, talks about his mom a moment from childhood uh, after his brother had died. And his mother was so depressed, wouldn't get out of bed. And he says, so I, I put on my brother David's clothes and I went into her. And I think it was the first time she ever really looked at me. And he says, and that was the end of the boy James. Uh, I used to say he'd gone to Neverland. So this is the character who uh, J.M. Barry, who writes Peter Pan. I had always thought of, you know, Peter Pan syndrome as this really derogatory description of men who refuse to take on adult responsibilities. 
And hearing that defining moment completely upended my understanding of why J.M. Barry had written about boys who refused to grow up and who live in perpetual childhood in Neverland. And it had to do with his own trauma of having to become an adult as like an eight-year-old boy to help his mother through her grief. And because he had lost his childhood, he was interested in seeing children experience their childhood. All of that comes out of that defining moment, which just gets told in dialogue. I mean, it goes against the whole show don't tell imperative. It's not harnessing all of the tools of cinema, but it's really effective because it just flows honestly out of the soul of this character, reveals who this character is and completely allows you to understand what Neverland is really about. So that's the power of a defining moment. You would, you know, you'd think that Johnny Depp was pretty happy to find that in the script and that that would become a touchstone for his portrayal of, of J.M. Barry. I think we're about out of time. I just want to try to do one more. So about self-discovery as writers, aside from years of therapy or something like that, like, is it, what are some practical things you could do? Is it talking to other people, having them describe you? Is it asking yourself why you do certain things the way you do? What's a step or two people could take in the right direction to define themselves? When we have worked with writers uh, around this idea of defining moments, we walk them through a, a series of questions. We'll maybe show them an example of a moment of discovery, a moment of loss uh, or wounding, a moment of healing. Well, so we'll show them a scene from a film and then we'll just say, what's a moment when you experienced uh, a wound that you carry with you to this day. And then we will give them say, we'll just say, here's five minutes and just write, no one else is going to see this. You're not going to turn this in. You can be completely open, uh, but see if you can write about that moment. That's not so different from what a person might go through in therapy, but, um, you can actually walk yourself through uh, asking yourself those questions. If you've got someone to talk to, I think that's fantastic. That's also one of the great dynamics in therapy if somebody sits and listens to you uh, after they ask you a question. Uh, therapy itself can be helpful. Uh, I think I have come to uh, key moments of healing in that way of of, and there's no magic in it. It's just looking back and saying like, where did this come from? And, um, and then for me, like what, I came to believe this thing that is programmed into me so deeply, I just assume that it's true. But as soon as I now say it out loud, I realize it's ridiculous. And, um, that allows me then to go, oh, that assumption I made that if anybody knew the real me, they wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. 
That's actually not true. And it's not true because there are people who know the real me and they're still here. So, but, but it had never occurred to me before. That allows me then to say, well, then what's true? I still feel like that lie is true, but I now can, hold, can grab onto this, this truth. I think each one of us can ask these questions, uh, like for a screenwriter, very often that takes the desire to write movies takes the form of what we would call a dream. You know, I dream of standing on the red carpet at the premiere of a film I've written. Okay, well, where did that dream come from? Where did that start? And is there a story? that allows you to kind of rewind the tapes and look for that. And sometimes things emerge very slowly, like a plant, you know, coming out of the ground, not all that dramatic to watch, but very often there is a, an actual discrete moment. Uh, I remember the first time I saw a television camera at a live event and I had this experience where I felt like I was going to come out of my body. I needed to get my hands on that camera or I was going to die. Well, that was the beginnings of a pursuit that I'm still on all these years later. And I, it turned out it wasn't about being a camera operator, but I didn't know that at the time. I've had to find my way to what I really wanted was to be the one who wrote the stories. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I can now, I can, I can see that moment where that dream first flickered to life. So I think that we can, um, I think we can help ourselves um, by asking ourselves these questions and actually like writing words down on paper. I think committing to actually going beyond thinking thoughts to writing words on paper helps to crystallize these things and clarify our, our thinking and our understanding. Thank you for tuning in to the show. If it's your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit my new website for information on the YouTube channel, the blog, the podcast, and my new book, Ink by the Barrel, which takes advice from these 200 plus interviews and more at brockswinson.com. You'll see the link in the show notes. Thanks again.